Well, good Wednesday evening and welcome to our Bible study in the Gospel of John. Glad that you've joined us and I'm glad to be with you as we begin the 15-session the, uh, study as we go through 21 chapters of the Gospel of John and so looking forward to this. This is a portrait of Jesus based primarily on what he said. Now, earlier we looked at the Gospel of Mark, the uh, portrait of Jesus based primarily on what he did, and now we're looking at what he said into the Gospel of John. Grab your devices, grab your Bibles. I'd like for you to follow along as we go verse by verse. We'll be looking in this first session at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 34. Chapter 1 is a long chapter, so kind of divide it up, and uh, we'll go 1 through verses 34 tonight. And glad that you've joined us, so get your Bibles and devices. Follow along as we look at a uh, portrait of Jesus based on what he said primarily from John's perspective, who was an eyewitness of everything he said and everything that he did. Let's pray together and we'll begin our session tonight. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to read your word together, to study it verse by verse and look at, at Jesus, what he said, what he did. Lord, just who he was as a person. We know that he is the Son of God, that, that he is God in the flesh. He is, a, is 100% human while he was with us the only Savior of the world, and there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We know that, Lord, and so I pray tonight that you would bless our time together as we read the Word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we looked at the introduction of the Gospel of John last week just by looking at the Gospel itself. John is a very simple Gospel as far as looking at the Greek language. Of course, it was written in Greek. And John, of, of all the New Testament books, John is the most simple Greek. Now, that does not mean it's a simple message. It's a very profound message. But the, but the style in which John wrote was a very simple style and was very simple Greek language. So, whenever you're learning Greek and you begin to translate some of the New Testament, usually you begin in, in John, and usually of all places you begin in John chapter 1, verse 1, where we will begin this evening. Very simple writing style, but John, uh, what John tells us was very profound about Jesus. Now, we saw last week that the reason John wrote his gospel was to try to persuade people that Jesus is the only Savior of the world, that He is the Son of God who, who came down from heaven, walked among us, dwelt among us. We beheld His, His, His glory that was here with us. And to realize that he is the only Savior of the world. He tells us that's the purpose in writing. And for those of us who already believe, to be assured and confident that we're believing the right things. That Jesus is indeed the only Savior of the world. We're going to see tonight in the opening verses, he declares that Jesus is God. He's stressing his unique relationship with God, God the Father. And this book, the Gospel of John, focuses primarily on seven of Jesus, what, he, what John calls signs, or we know them as miracles. But John calls them signs to show his divinity. Seven miracles or seven signs all throughout the Gospels, and we'll look at those to show Jesus truly is deity and divine. Jesus called people to believe in him. He promised eternal life. Uh, he provided uh, life to them and proved 
that he could give life by raising Lazarus back from the dead in chapter 11. It'd be interesting whenever we look at that chapter. John features the I am statements. Nine different times Jesus used the phrase I am, which is the Old Testament name of God, which proves his deity as well. And then, of course, the one great summary of the gospel, probably the, the most well-known verse in all the New Testament is in the gospel of John, John three sixteen, which Martin Luther calls the entire gospel wrapped up in only one verse. So there's a lot to get to in all these 15 sessions, and we'll begin tonight by looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 34. Before I begin, imagine with me that you meet someone for the first time and you form an immediate impression of them. And then they begin to speak and you have a totally different impression of them. Maybe it's an impression, maybe your first impression was Okay, there, there may be an average person, but then whenever they begin to speak, you realize, whoa, they are no average person. Their speech really leads you to a different level of understanding of that person. And that very well was Jesus in the Gospel of John. Of course, John is different than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're known as the synoptic Gospels, the seeing together. They all saw together the, the life and ministry of Jesus. And then John is separate. He sees the life and ministry of Jesus in another way. And John sees the life and ministry of Jesus primarily by what came out of Jesus' mouth. So maybe they had an impression of Jesus, but whenever they heard him speak, their impression changed. To many people who heard Jesus speak, he amazed them. To others, whenever he opened his mouth, he inspired them. Still others in the gospel, whenever he spoke, he angered them, the religious leaders, but whenever he spoke, they formed an opinion. And that's what we're going to see. Now, Jesus didn't speak in chapter 1 until the very end of the chapter. We'll get to that later on. First of all, John sets the stage as to who Jesus was. So let's begin by looking letter A on your outline. The Word became flesh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So follow along with me as John begins telling us the story of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we're not going to go this slow for the entire gospel, but I, I, it's vitally important we look at, at that first verse in depth and what John's trying to tell us immediately. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have a beginning point of Jesus' ministry and life. Matthew and Luke begin with a genealogy, and then they go into his birth narrative in the manger. Mark skips all of that, and he begins with Jesus' ministry at the age of 30. But John begins all the way back, way before the manger, he begins all the way back at the beginning, and even before the beginning, he goes back to creation 
And then even before creation, because he proved to us that Jesus was not a created being that had a, a beginning point in time. He is eternal that has always been here, just as God the Father has. So John is writing to a group who believed Jesus had a beginning point in time, the manger. And John tells us, no, no, he is eternal. He's God in the flesh. He goes all the way back with God into eternity. In the beginning was the Word. Didn't be, he didn't begin the beginning. He was already there at the beginning. And he, he doesn't say Jesus. He uses the word logos in Greek, L-O-G-O-S, which is translated in English as word. Now, last week I, I shared with you the concept of logos was very common in Greek philosophy. So whenever John wrote logos, everybody immediately, their ears would perk up. Ah, he's talking philosophy with us. Because the philosophers of the day would love to gather around and kick around the idea of what logos was. Logos was an abstract concept to Greek philosophers. Some translated as, as life, some translated logos as spirit, some as reason, some as word, some as action. Heraclitus, one of the Greek philosophers, translated it as fire, that fire that's within every human being that distinguishes humans from animals, you might say, that spirit within us. And so the Stoics and other Greek philosophers would love to kick around what is logos, it was an abstract concept. Philo, the Greek philosopher, he combined wisdom and, and, and life together. and He called that logos. So John begins his gospel by saying logos was in the beginning, but it was no abstract concept. Logos is a person, a person who is very real, who walked among us. Is Jesus. Jesus is Logos. He is life. He is word. He is spirit. He is everything that gives us our being. And so the philosophers would immediately go from the abstract to the concrete. Oh, oh he's, he's talking about Logos as a person. And so that's why he begins, in the beginning was Logos. And that Logos was with God and that Logos was God, Jesus, immediately God in the flesh. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Now, some people see this, all this beginnings of John as going back to creation. Some even see the miracle, we'll see next Wednesday night, the miracle at Cana as a recreation of the original creation. And so, he is beginning his gospel with the creation of the world. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him. So in other words, as God created, Jesus was there creating as well. Which Genesis tells us, it uses the plural we or us. So therefore, we know the Trinity was involved. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4. In him was Life, and the life was the light of men. 
All through the Gospel of John, you're going to see the word life a lot. Zoe, Z-O-E is the Greek word for life, eternal life. And so all the way through the Gospel of John, you will see the Greek word Zoe, life. Because that's a key word for John. He introduces it in the prologue to us. In Jesus was life, still is. And the life was the light of men. You see the word light, the concept between light and darkness, all through John as well. These were Old Testament concepts. John is now pulling into the New Testament. Light and life. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Go back to creation. What happened? There was darkness. God spoke, and into that darkness there was light. And now John does the same thing with Jesus. As he came, there was spiritual darkness. But whenever he stepped into our world in 4 BC, all of a sudden that darkness became light. What did Isaiah tell us? The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. And he tells us that in the same passage as the promise of the coming Messiah. Jesus came into darkness, gave light, and in our world, dark with sin, whenever Jesus comes in, there is light. So those first five verses, we just barely scratched the surface. There, there is a lot in there. But the first five verses, John sets out telling us exactly who Jesus is, and now he goes to the testimony of John the Baptist. Look at verse 6. There was a man, of course, we'll look at his testimony further, verse 19, but he introduces him to us in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, now hold on for a second. Let's stop there. Why did John tell us about John the Baptist, and why did he feel a need to tell us, oh, by the way, John the Baptist was not the Messiah. He only came to bear witness of the Messiah. Why did he tell us that from the beginning? I mentioned it last week in our introduction of the gospel. But at the time that John wrote his gospel, probably around 85 A.D., during that time, there had developed within the Christian community a sect or a belief system which believed that John the Baptist was superior to Jesus. And we're going to see all the way through his testimony that goes from verse 19 to verse 28 here in just a moment. We're going to see in, in a moment about the testimony of John. He says over and over, I, I am not the Messiah. I'm not greater than him. He's greater than me. And he says that all the way through. And so John tells us that because there was a group that believed in the early church that John the Baptist was superior to Christ and we should worship him, not Jesus. John himself said, no, no, do not do that. Of course, they were cousins. He said, do not do that. that the name of that group were, was called the Mandeans. 
M-A-N-D-E-A-N-S. The Mandean, they called, they were cult, the Mandean cult at that time. In fact, today, uh, south of Baghdad in Iraq, there's still a group of, of Mandean followers who still follow John the Baptist over Jesus. To this day, south of Iraq, uh, or in Iraq, south of Baghdad, the group of Mandeans who, uh, or rather Mandeans who follow John the Baptist. So John is telling us right away, even John the Baptist said, I am not the Messiah. Go to verse uh, 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Stop there for a moment. Why would John tell us that Jesus physically was actually in this world? Isn't that a, wasn't that known? Well, there was also a group that developed early in the Christian community known as Gnosticism. And that belief system believed that Jesus was God in the spirit, but he was not a human. That Jesus did not have human characteristics. He looked human, but he really was not human. If you went to shake his hand, your hand would go right through him. He, he looked real, but he wasn't really human. He was spirit. And that belief system was very popular in the time that John wrote. And so, of Jesus' deity and his humanity, it's interesting to note that of the two, which was questioned first in the early church, it wasn't his deity, it was his humanity that was questioned first. Was he really a human? Gnostics said, no. And John wrote and said, no, no, he, he was in the world. He was a human being for sure. And the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Go to verse 11. He came to his own, talking about the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look at verses 11 and 12. Some theologians say, this is an outline of the entire gospel. Verse 11 was the first part of the gospel. Verse 12 was the second part of the gospel. And the reason is, the first part, he came to his own, his own people, the Jews, but they didn't receive him. So he came to the Jews first, and they rejected him. And the second part, but to those who did receive him, the Gentiles, he gave them the right to become the children of God. So some people see in verses 11 and 12 an outline of the entire gospel. The first part, he came to his own, they didn't receive him. Second part, those that did receive him, the Gentiles, they had the right to become the children of God. Look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Folks, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to be saved, if you want to have salvation, it does not come by your will. It does not come by being human. It does not come by joining the church. It comes only by being born of God. You must have a born-again relationship with Jesus in order to have salvation. You must be born of God through Christ. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh 
There's that concept of the Gnostics, flesh and spirit again. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as, the, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You may remember a couple of years ago, my prayer verse for you, I prayed for you every day during that year, that John 1.14, that you would be full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was known as being a man full of grace and full of truth. Sometimes we're heavy on the grace and we just give everybody a free pass. And then sometimes we're heavy on truth and we're too condemning. And Jesus combined both perfectly, full of grace, full of truth, and nobody combined both more perfectly than Jesus. Sometimes I am too heavy on the truth side. I, I believe in truth, and maybe sometimes I'm, I'm too condemning, and sometimes people are too heavy on the grace side, and, and they, they just kind of let truth go by. Jesus combined both perfectly, and so must we, and that was my prayer for you, continues to be my prayer for you. You would combine grace and truth like Jesus did. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now anytime you see a phrase like that, something upon something, it's intensifying what it said. So, not only did Jesus give grace, he gave even more grace than we anticipated. Grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Boy, it's a great phrase, isn't it? Old Testament, that's the law, can't save you. But grace and truth came through Christ who can save you. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I love that John says in the first chapter, of course, in the Old Testament, everybody knew nobody's ever seen God with their eyes. Moses one time saw the back portion of God hidden in the cleft of the rock as he passed by. And that's the closest anyone ever came in the Old Testament to seeing God. And everybody knew that. All the Jews knew that. No one can see God and live. But John says, but we know that from the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, looking in the face of Jesus is looking in the face of God. He has made him known to us, and we have seen God. Go to letter B on your outline and verses 19 to 28. Let's look at the testimony of John the Baptist. The testimony of John the baptizer. Now, this does not mean he was a Baptist denomination. This is not where, by the way, where Baptists get our name from is John the Baptist. That we get our name from, well, it's going back to the Anabaptist movement during the Protestant Reformation. Some people have tried to trace Southern Baptists all the way back to John the Baptist in John chapter 1. It doesn't work. It breaks down. This is not where we're from. In fact, the word Baptist here doesn't mean, like I said, denomination. It means baptizer, John the baptizer. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of 
John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Speaking to John the Baptist. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They had been waiting for the coming of Christ, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. John was out there preaching, preached so powerfully. Great crowds gathered and people began to wonder, are you the Christ? Are you our Messiah? So, so religious leaders came from Jerusalem out to the wilderness and asked him, are you the Messiah? And he very plainly said, no, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, and they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? There was a belief, Elijah, remember he didn't die in the Old Testament. He was taken up in a whirlwind. So there's always mystery around that. There was a belief that this Elijah taken up in a whirlwind in the Old Testament would come back in the New Testament. And so they're about halfway waiting for Elijah to come back. Who then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you that prophet, they ask in verse 21. Who's that prophet? Remember Moses said in the Old Testament, there will come one after me later on, that great prophet. Speaking of the Messiah, who was Jesus? They asked John, are you that great prophet Moses talked about? And he said, no. Verse 22, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Who is John the Baptist? And he tells us very plainly, verse 23. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. In the Old Testament, chapter 40 of Isaiah, verse 3. Isaiah very plainly said, before the Messiah comes, there will be a forerunner coming before him. Back in those days, whenever a king would approach a city, the residents would be awaiting the, the arrival of this wonderful king, and there would be a forerunner out in front of him that would say, behold, the king is coming, the king is coming, and make way, the king is coming, and he was a forerunner, and then the king would arrive. And Isaiah said, before the Messiah comes, there will come a forerunner that says, he's coming, he's coming, the king is coming. And Isaiah said, he will yell, make straight his paths, because he's about to arrive. So, whenever the religious leaders asked John the Baptist, who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Elijah, no. The great prophet, no. Then who are you? I'm the forerunner. King's coming. The Messiah is about to arrive. I am only the voice, the herald that cries out, make straight the way of the Lord. He's here. John the Baptist knew his role. Blessed is anybody who goes through life knowing their role, knowing why God placed you here. And folks, I want to encourage every one of you tonight, know why God has placed you on this earth. 
and fulfill that. There's joy, there's fulfillment, there's peace, there's contentment, all in knowing this is why God placed me on earth. So many people today go through life, they never understand that. They never figure out why I'm here. John the Baptist knew his role, why God had placed him on earth, and he was content with that. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, parenthetical statement as to who sent the religious leaders. Verse 25, they asked John, if you're only the voice, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize you with water. But among you stands one you do not know, talking about Jesus. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, John baptized differently in that day. Baptisms before John were for the sake of becoming a Jew. They were called proselyte baptisms or for ritual cleansing. If you wanted to cleanse your body to be, to be pure, to partake of, uh, of any of, of the, uh, the elements, or anything else of the day uh, to be to sacrifices or go into the to temple or just be ritually cleansed. You were either baptized or washed. But John came along and said baptisms need to be for repentance. And so John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so it always kind of confused the religious leaders. Why are you baptizing we, we baptize. Why are you doing it differently to repent of sins and then be baptized? So they couldn't quite figure that out. And, and he said, I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. Remember the Mandeans, the cult that Worship John the Baptist. Now, straight from the mouth of John, I'm not worthy to even bend down and untie his sandals. That would have let the Mandean cult know right away Jesus is superior to John, and even John knew it. And then it tells us, verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. We're told later in chapter 3 where John baptized and where Jesus was baptized. If you go there today to Israel, you can go to the site where Jesus was actually baptized in the Jordan. We, we go there and look at it. We do not baptize there because, to be honest, it's filthy. <laughs> we go upstream where it's cleaner, where our baptism is. There are some Catholics today. There, there will be a few people out there baptizing but the toxic waste and the runoff and the chemicals and the waste from animals and everything is so filthy that the dirty, the water is just brown right there today. So we don't baptize in the actual site. We know where it is, where Jesus was baptized because it, we're told in John, we'll talk about that in chapter 3, and verse 28 tells us where it is. Here's what I find interesting. We'll talk later about it, uh, more about it later. I didn't realize until I went to Israel 
Uh, I didn't realize it reading from Scripture, but I did realize it once I got to Israel. The exact place where Jesus was baptized in the New Testament was the exact location in the Old Testament where the, the Israelites crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land for the very first time. The waters parted, and they went across on dry ground, and then they put the monuments up. That's where the Israelites entered for the very first time the Promised Land, the exact spot where Jesus was baptized in the New Testament. Verse 28 tells us where that location is. Let's go to letter C. We'll wrap up this evening. Behold the Lamb of God, uh, John proclaims that, verses 29 to 34. The next day, now notice the sequence on the days here. He says this happened one day, then the next day, then the next day. And John is leading up to the, the wedding at Cana. We'll see about as to what day that is, why that's important. We'll see that next Wednesday night. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John is teaching or baptizing, and Jesus, he sees Jesus coming. And he stops, and rather than all the attention going to him, he focuses the attention on Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes the one who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself, verse 31, did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Now, John does not record Jesus' baptism, but he records what he saw at Jesus' baptism. You remember Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And whenever he was baptized, the other gospel writers recorded a, a dove and the voice that came down, the dove descended like spirit upon Jesus. And, and we're not told in Matthew and Mark whether they saw it or not. They just recorded it. But in verse 32, John said he saw it. So we know everybody watching, standing by there actually saw and heard everything. I saw it, he said. The spirit descended from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on, him, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, hold on for a second. Remember John the Baptist he had known Jesus his whole life. They grew up together. Cousins. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. Their, their mothers were sisters, Mary and Elizabeth. So why did John say, I didn't know him? He had known him his whole life. What he's saying is, I didn't know him to be the Messiah. All the time we're growing up together, he's my cousin. I didn't know him to be the Messiah, but at his baptism, it slowly was revealed to me, this, this cousin of mine, God is showing me, he's God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. And now, he said, 
I've seen it and I've borne witness and I believe him to be the son of God. Imagine you grow up with a cousin all your life and you get to be 30 years old and finally realize this is the son of God. How incredible that must have been. So John had a powerful testimony and bore witness this is the Lamb of God. Well, thank you tonight for joining us for the first 34 verses. Next Wednesday night, we'll pick up verse 35, and we'll go through chapter 2. Hope that you'll join us then. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you. See you then.